If your story's anything like mine, you might be starting to realize that your relationship with food and eating's not quite right. Maybe it's causing problems in your life or your thinking, even in your relationships and your emotions and your faith, but you're not really sure what the problem is. Well, you might be living with something called disordered eating. Today, I'll discuss what it is, signs that you might have this tendency, and three helpful steps to take on your journey to freedom from disordered eating. Stay tuned. Welcome to the True Food Freedom and Faith Podcast. I'm your imperfect host, Cheryl Sharko, registered dietitian, nutritionist, and biblical counselor, here to get real with you, my sisters in Christ. Yep, I'm talking to you who struggle with restrictive food rules, chronic dieting, yo-yo diets, emotional eating, and other issues that consume your life, your joy, and your peace. So get your comfy pants on like I did and get ready for some real talk about this journey, real nutrition information, and some real solutions so you can live a life in true food freedom and faith. Hello again, my sisters. So tell me, are you troubled? By your eating behaviors and food-related thoughts? Are you struggling to understand them and what's going on in there? Also, are you ashamed? Are you afraid that others would find out how much time and mental space you're spending being preoccupied with things like your weight, eating habits, and even your body image? Well, it's very likely that you've heard of eating disorders, but you think those categories don't really fit what you're experiencing. For example, you've heard of anorexia nervosa, you've heard of bulimia, but you don't think your behaviors match that exactly. But something just isn't right because you're preoccupied by food and eating behaviors and it's affecting your life. And you may not see a bona fide eating disorder in your life, but you might be living with something termed disordered eating. So I know that can get confusing. I'm not talking about specifically eating disorders, but I am talking about disordered eating. And we're going to discuss the difference between the two. So to start, let's get real, or at least I guess I'll get real with you. These days I talk about my struggle with disordered eating over the decades, but back then, I can't say I really understood what I was dealing with. I guess I knew it wasn't right. But I also observed most other women doing similar behaviors and having the same mindset and the same discussions that I was. So most of the time, I thought I was just doing what women did, even young women or pre-women. And what was that? Well, we dieted. Women diet, period. It didn't really occur to us that maybe we didn't need to be dieting all those years, but that's just what you do. And that was the focus. And it was so important to lose more weight, lose some weight, or at least be attempting to do that. In fact, the more extreme the diet, the better. So I was actually shocked when I came upon the definition of disordered eating. And it wasn't even that many years ago. And the reason I was shocked was because, as I've just mentioned, so much of what defines disordered eating is something that I had been living with, had been seeing other women live with, and not really thinking much of it or that it was abnormal, certainly not disordered. So listen to this list of things that I've lived out, not all of them, but most, and see if you can identify with things on this list as well. All right, so disordered eating can be defined as 
frequent dieting, anxiety associated with eating specific foods or food groups. You know, it causes you to have stress or kind of be preoccupied with that. Uh, Meal skipping when you're hungry and kind of training your body to ignore those signals. Chronic weight fluctuations. So yo-yo dieting, where you go on a crash diet and you do great and you lose that weight and then guess what? It comes back often more than you even started with and so you go on another diet and so forth and so on. Also rigid rituals and routines surrounding food and exercise. Guilt or shame associated with eating when you don't keep those rules or even if you just gain a little bit of weight. A preoccupation with your weight, with your body image, with keeping food rules which negatively impact your quality of life over time. Feeling a loss of control around food, and that includes compulsive eating habits and binge eating. And using exercise or food restrictions or fasting kind of as a punishment because of what you ate or to, quote, make up for bad foods that you ate. So this is just part of the definition of disordered eating. Disordered eating in general describes behaviors that are unhealthy or dangerous for your body, especially in the long term. And they're actually unnatural. We don't really think of these behaviors as disordered or, again, I didn't. And I didn't really think of them as unnatural because we do live in this diet and image-saturated culture that seems to expect or require these behaviors of us. It's just part of the vernacular. It's normal. But some of these behaviors and ways of thinking can actually tend toward a bona fide, diagnosable eating disorder. And some of those things that bleed over into that are things such as binge eating or abusing laxatives or even drugs and alcohol to get rid of unwanted pounds or to prevent that natural appetite. Also, excessive exercise can be a part of disordered eating, believe it or not, as can extreme dieting. So again, these are all under the umbrella of disordered eating, but can bleed over into an actual diagnosable eating disorder. And speaking of diagnosable eating disorders, they are more recognized in the healthcare field. However, there is an entire subset of people who have disordered eating who often go unnoticed. And that's often because we ourselves aren't recognizing it in ourselves as something unhealthy or abnormal, which is, again, you heard me say that's my history. Also, disordered eating is often a pathway to those more severe life-consuming eating disorders. And some of those can become life-threatening, as we see with anorexia nervosa specifically. Okay, so back to disordered eating. This type of a disordered relationship with food, it's a massive and growing problem in the world, but it is also in the church, and I am living proof of that. And when we deal with an issue like this that we aren't really discussing openly in the church, that can leave us who do deal with it to have an even greater sense of shame and guilt and even hopelessness and not really know where to turn when we have these issues. As Christians, we can be afraid to let others know areas of our greatest struggles, which is such a shame because we all have them and we all need each other to help us through them. So as a society and Even as a church, how did we get here? How did this become such an enormous problem? Oftentimes, disordered eating grows just from all of the restrictive food rules that we give ourselves and try to live by and this diet culture that we live in. 
There's a lot more about that in the last podcast called Stop Dieting and Be Healthy, Five Steps to Food Freedom. I recommend that you go back and listen to that because it goes into much more detail about living by those external food rules and the consequences. And my friends, this is one of the consequences. It can lead to such a disordered mindset and relationship with food and your body that it can consume your life. And that is what we call disordered eating. So again, disordered eating is an unnatural and a problematic way of thinking about or planning for or their actions around and resulting thoughts and feelings regarding food and eating. It can affect your emotions and your understanding of value as a human being. For example, does the number on the scale make or break your day? It used to for me, for sure. Another aspect of disordered eating is that it's persistent. It's not a temporary thing. Now, not everyone who goes on a diet is a disordered eater. That's not what I'm saying. Even if they go on an extreme diet, that does not make them a disordered eater. Disordered eating, it's not a temporary thing. It's a very persistent way of thinking and feeling and the behaviors that are related to losing weight and a hyper-focus on your body size and shape or on your appearance, or it's even an obsessive need to keep the weight off once you've gone and lost it. Disordered eating has as much to do with the persistence of the thoughts or behaviors as the behaviors themselves. So a person with disordered eating will engage in these problematic behaviors either consistently or more likely in a more repeatable fashion over time. And they might not think about the long-term consequences or they might, but they might not even care about them. I'm a good example of that. So I remember back in high school, I was eating meals of only this little tablet called FiberTrim. I don't know if you're as old as I am or if you remember those, but for some reason I thought that was a sufficient meal. And that's what I was having, two FiberTrim at each meal, and that was it. So I wasn't quite dumb enough to think I was going to get away with that without consequences. I did kind of feel like someday I had to pay the piper, but really... In high school, I didn't care. I just wanted to be thin. And so this is a disordered mindset with weight and body image and food. And that's a good example of what I'm talking about. So I'm going to step on your toes just a little bit in case I haven't already, because this is what I went through and it took me far, far too many years to recognize it as a problem. And if I can get you to see it in yourself a little bit earlier than that, then I will be very, very happy. So sometimes disordered eating symptoms can actually look like, at least on the outsider, you can even convince yourself that it is, they can look like an actual, normal, regular diet. So what? I'm counting calories. I'm counting macros. I'm logging my foods and how much I'm exercising. Big deal. Now, that could absolutely be true. There is absolutely a way of having a healthful mindset where you're just being responsible and you're wanting to know what you're putting in your body and tracking your steps and all of that. There is a healthy mindset that can include all of this. But disordered eating is much more consuming than that. You need to count your calories. You need to make sure you've had a calorie deficit that day. Or you'll go to bed tonight feeling guilty and self-loathing. I also want to say that even a popular practice like intermittent fasting 
That can be a disordered way of eating. Of course, it's not what your body normally wants. You're retraining your body to allow you to eat a large amount of food in a shortened time period and then having nothing to eat for the rest of the 24 hours. So, of course, that's unnatural and a disordered way of eating. But that specific type of practice can become very problematic for people with this proclivity toward disordered eating. So even though it's popular, even though it's being proclaimed by many people, all kinds of experts and this, that, and the other, if you're a person who deals with this bent towards disordered eating, then these are the very kinds of practices that you need to be very careful with because they can lead you to some bad places. Okay, so I've explained in some detail what disordered eating is. Are you recognizing yourself in this? If so... You're, I guess, in good company, so to speak, because it's becoming more common and it is my story. So if you've recognized yourself as a potential disordered eater, well, what can you do about it? First, as always, we want to rethink things biblically. So let's rethink food and eating from a biblical perspective. Okay, let's start with food. What is food even about? The Bible talks about food as a good gift from God. Again, it is a good gift from God. I'm emphasizing that because people who tend to live with disordered eating and that mindset often think of food as more of a guilty pleasure or something that they need to hide or they have shame around. But that is not true at all. Psalm 104 shows us that people are just waiting for God to give them their food in their due season, and that God does provide for their needs. We read that God opens His hands and He satisfies His people with good. In other words, God is regularly providing the food, and they are satisfied with good. Then their response to this is worship and thanks as they sing to the Lord. So why does God give us food? Well, as with everything, he gives us things like food to bring glory to himself and blessings to his children. And he's also using it to bless the whole earth as part of his common grace. So according to scripture, is food evil? Is enjoying food evil? Or is it good? It is a wonderful, good gift from our Heavenly Father. Now, Ecclesiastes is a book that displays all the futility of life on earth and the futility of living a life that's trying to gain all the goodies and all the pleasures on this earth. But it is scripture which also teaches us valuable principles. So one principle it shows us in chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, the scripture says, Nothing's better for a man than to eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? So, you know, it's a good thing to enjoy the fruit of our labor, but we know that even that, it comes from God. And apart from him, you can't eat or have that enjoyment that that all brings. So, although we work to get our food and drink, and it's all for our only our physical temporary life, all provision is to come from the hand of God, and this provision is for our enjoyment. 
So food is good, and eating is a way of experiencing God's goodness in a very tangible way. It's a built-in reminder to stop in your day and thank God and glorify Him at each meal. So that's multiple times a day. It gives us a very literal example of God's provision and His care for us. It's a pretty neat thing. We have a primary need that we trust God to fill, and He does. He shows us His trustworthiness and His power with each meal. Okay, so that's looking at food from a biblical perspective, a very shortened perspective. This could go on for a long time, but now let's look at eating. What's the biblical perspective on eating? Well, eating should be a natural, enjoyable process, and it really should be a full sensory experience. We can know this because God created us with an ability to have a full sensory experience. From the taste buds to the olfactory sense, through the nose and to the nerves that go to the brain, and then the neurotransmitter reactions in the brain, there is every indication that God created us to enjoy this good gift of food. It's amazing. He did not have to do that. He could have made food bland and just our bellies hurt, and we had to shove food in there to get that over with. But that's not what he did. He made all of these intricacies in our bodies so that we could enjoy it. It's amazing, and we should thank him for it. First Timothy 4 tells us that God gives us these good gifts of all foods for our enjoyment if, if, if they are all taken with thanksgiving to him. So really, eating as it was intended to be becomes an act of worship throughout each day. There's no reason for eating to become rule and deprivation based as we like to do it because that's not what God told us to do. It shouldn't be guilt or shame-based, unless, of course, there is actual sin involved, such as gluttony, drunkenness, selfishness, idolatry. Those are what God identified as sins. But if it's not sinful, if it's just enjoyment, then there shouldn't be guilt and shame regarding your food and eating. Also, consider that eating probably wasn't intended to always be a rushed affair and a distracted affair like we eat now, but an activity that includes slowing down to enjoy a meal and be thankful to God for it. Take the time to appreciate that fruit of your labor and the provision by God's hand. We can see that in most times that eating was discussed in the Bible, it was a social event and it wasn't this rushed, get this over with because I'm busy event. You know, we live in an age with just incredible technological advances. This has made procuring food so much easier and so much faster. Think back through most generations before the 20th century, and even now in many places around the world. Getting a meal together represented a lot of labor and a lot of time. So when a meal was prepared, people stopped they gathered. They weren't going to say, nah, I'll just grab something from the fridge later and nuke it, you know. But now we're so busy, allowed in part by these technological advances, thank you very much. So family meals are far less common. Take a little aside here to say that incidentally, secular research even is showing how important family meals actually are. So I'll have to do a podcast on that someday. But back to my main point. So these days, We can easily just run to the pantry or go to a drive-through junk food place and eat whenever we get the inkling. 
We eat while we're driving, we eat while we're working, we eat while we're watching TV, and all this sort of upends that natural flow of family meals and social eating. So consider bringing your family back to the table and having meals together and just being a little more conscious of that practice and making that a part of your lives for your benefit and theirs. Now, eating also should be led by the body's God-given signals. This often takes a relearning because we've just lived in such a distracted way and we've really abused our body's God-given signals. So to help you through this part of the process, learning to hear and respond to your body's hunger and fullness signals, be sure to download the free ebook that I have for you, Three Steps to Guilt-Free Eating. The link will be in the show notes, or you can always find this or any of the resources on the website, truefoodfreedomandfaith.com. I think this will be a really helpful resource for you in this journey because it's going to give you a lot of detailed steps to follow, and you can keep it and refer back to it frequently as you're relearning to be led by these God-given signals. So instead of you know trying to discern what to eat by external food rules that are really restrictive and not really based on science, use something like that Three Steps to Guilt-Free Eating free ebook to relearn to eat using your God-given hunger and fullness signals. So most importantly now, as we mentioned, eating and enjoyment of food should be done with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to God for His good gifts. Again, Food is a good gift from our loving Father, and we must acknowledge that and enjoy it that way. But when we abuse any of God's good gifts, and abuse just means to misuse, not use them for their intended purpose. So when we abuse any of His good gifts, for example, say instead of enjoying God's good gift of food with thankfulness to Him without sin or guilt or shame, instead of that... What if I were to hide my eating behaviors and kind of become obsessed with controlling it or using food to comfort myself? Well, that becomes an idol, and I know this idol well. This was a really hard one for me to acknowledge. Either eating food or controlling it are both a means to deal with things that I should be trusting God for. This made food or the eating process an idol. Phew, I told you I was gonna be real, sisters. Something that was made for my enjoyment and a memorial to worship God had become a heart sin. So that was the primary issue I had to deal with. And you might find that you need to do the same. Now, I told you that if you found yourself identifying with these disordered eating symptoms and signs and behaviors and even the thoughts, I was gonna give you three helpful steps for you to take on your journey to freedom from disordered eating. So let's get going on these. If you want to be free from disordered eating and you're a Christian, well, the first step is to identify the heart issues that are causing the behaviors or the need for the behaviors. Perhaps you're trying to deal with difficult emotions, but you aren't doing it in a way that's beneficial. Instead, you're using food like I did. Or perhaps you've made an idol of the number on the scale, which I did. All of these things require acknowledging that and having that conviction. Now, don't be afraid of that conviction. 
It's a wonderful thing because guess what? When you're convicted of actual sin, not things you shouldn't be guilty about, but what God actually calls sin, you can bring that sin to the cross. That means you can repent of it and receive mercy, receive forgiveness, and receive cleansing. And don't miss this, you can have assurance that the Holy Spirit will help you as you walk out that repentance. It's an amazing thing. So that first step is to identify the heart sins that may be leading to the disordered eating thoughts and behaviors, okay? Now, the next step to escape from that disordered eating bondage and to do the heart work is to acknowledge when we're using food like I did for those things that we're supposed to trust God for. Things such as peace, rest, joy, or if we're having anxiety, hopelessness, despair, sadness, or guilt or shame. All of these issues, all of these topics belong under God's domain. We know this because each of these experiences and many others are actually addressed in Scripture. So if God tells us plainly what the cure is, there is no other. You will not find better in the world or in your refrigerator. If I'm living with sadness or grief or stress, and I'm trying to use food to distract myself from these feelings, or if I'm hiding from God out of guilt and I want to cover up my convicting feelings by taking strict control and eating and being good in that way as a substitute, or any combination of any of these behaviors or thoughts, I'm taking what belongs at Christ's feet, which He has a solution for, and instead I'm entrusting them to the, quote, God lower G, of food or dieting. When I have anxiety, I need to go to scripture and I need to read things like 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, food doesn't care for me. Why am I going to food? Food couldn't care less about me. I have an all-powerful God who cares for me and promises to help me, but I say, meh, food's got it. Diet's got my back. How silly, how silly. God cares for me. And whether I'm eating food to distract myself or I'm trying to restrict and control my eating to such a degree that I'm now depriving myself of energy and nutrients my body needs in an ultimately fruitless effort of grasping hold of something I can control in life, well, these are just temporary solutions. Whereas the deep root issues that are causing the discontent and they're causing the pain, they're not being dealt with at all. In fact, they're probably being added to because after disordered eating behaviors, and if you've lived with this long enough, you know, there's often more guilt and shame or just plain physical consequences piling on now that we have to deal with. So let's start identifying the problems that we're trying to soothe and bring those to Christ who cares for us and has a powerful solution. Instead of worshiping that bag of cookies, let's break out the scriptures and let's read about God's help and how he cares for you. Read about how he is near to you. He is near to me. Philippians 4. Also, (laughs) this one's very convicting to all of us, including myself. If I'm caring far too much about what other people think about me, 
enough so that I'm going to go on this extreme diet or have all these food restrictions or something like go into extreme exercise, which I never would. How about instead of caring that much about the opinions of people, I instead go to God through his word and prayer and discover how great and powerful he is and that he alone is worthy of that amount of attention and fear. Well, whether our disordered eating takes the shape of eating gluttonous amounts of food surrounded by hiding and shame, or if it takes the shape of restricting to such a degree that it's unhealthy and will have consequences down the line, or actually most likely it's a combination, a back and forth of the two. Let's remember 1 Corinthians 6, where it says, I will not be mastered by anything. That is so important because it goes on to say that our bodies are made for the worship of God and the glorification of God, and they're not to be mastered by anything else. So to repeat, the first thing we want to do is start acknowledging and recognizing what the root problems are. Why are we bent towards these behaviors of disordered eating? Then the second thing we want is to take those individual reasons that belong under God's domain and bring those to Him in repentance and in faith, asking for His help in prayer and finding His truth in Scripture. Remember, He cares for you, and we do not want to live being mastered by anything. That's such a great thing to keep in mind at all times. Am I being mastered by this, by this thought process, by this eating pattern, by the number on the scale, by what I think others' opinions are? Are they mastering me? Are they enslaving me? If you can say yes to that, right there you know that you want to break free, that you need to be free of that. It is not a healthy way of living, nor does it glorify God. Now, my sisters, if you're feeling convicted over these things, remember that's a good thing. That's where it begins. That's where the journey starts. It's truly wonderful because there's a solution for these in Christ. Repentance and faith in Christ bring forgiveness and cleansing, and you walk away being fully cleansed. You walk away with the power of the Holy Spirit to help you through these new patterns, Never be afraid to acknowledge your sin. Never be afraid to call sin, sin, because you can approach the throne of grace and receive help in your time of trouble. We're told that in Hebrews 4. Okay, so those are the first two. And the third step is actually just a series of practical tips. If you're someone who deals with a disordered mindset around food, also known as disordered eating, whether it's eating a lot and binging, or extreme dieting, or just going back and forth and back and forth between the two, and it's a compulsive way of living, a persistent way of living, and it's occupying far too much mental space, too much of your heart, too much of your time, and probably too much of your money, then what you want to be careful of are things like attempting the new diets, the fad diets, anything that rubs you as an unnatural eating style, basically most of what you're going to see on social media, quite frankly. For example, I mentioned intermittent fasting. Well, of course, for someone who does not struggle at all with this type of mindset, they could be fine with intermittent fasting. Of course, I will say as a caveat, they may not know they have this disordered mindset until they do something like intermittent fasting, and then there could be some trouble. But not everybody struggles with it in this way. But for you, 
You already know you struggle with issues in this area. You already know that you're affected by extreme diet rules in a way that there will be a backlash. So my advice to you, sisters, is to just stay away from these for now. Stay away from all the fad diets and the new things you're hearing about, um, the keto, the high protein, for Pete's sake, the HCG, anything that seems like an unnatural way of eating or that's going to put you in a restrictive mindset, you don't need to go there. Often they're not even backed by science. They're not often supported by dietitians. So you don't need to indulge in that right now. You need to get away from all of those external rules that are not founded in any way. Honestly, even if they are founded in some ways, you don't need those right now. You need to break free. So I would just caution you and ask you to put those aside for now. Ignore what you're seeing. Um, It's really hard because it can be very convincing when you're looking at your social media streams and everybody has their own experiences that somehow get morphed into now being truth because they experienced it, so it must be true. Please just stay away from those for now. We don't need to go there. We can address those later once we have gotten free from this bondage. Also, this is going to sound really strange, I'm sure, coming from a dietitian, but for the time being, until you have a healthier mindset and a more balanced relationship with food, I would like you to not really worry about nutrition yet, for now. Not to mention, it's likely you're not even hearing a lot of truthful nutrition information anyway on social media. Um, Eventually, absolutely, we will get into ways of bumping up nutrition, kind of up-leveling in ways that are healthy and sustainable and that fuel your body well. But for now... Until the mindset has been renewed regarding food and eating, any nutrition information you get could very easily become the new rule to cling on to, the new regimen, the new diet. A lot of tools we give to help with freedom, including teaching people how to learn their hunger and satiety or fullness cues, can very easily become the new regimen. And so what you don't need is more rules and regimens. Right now, the focus is on freedom that you can find with food in Christ and enjoying it with gratitude and not obsession. Becoming free from this enslavement and from these chains is the primary foundational goal here. Okay, so first, little practical tip was to not attempt these new diets and the fad diets and all these things you're seeing. Just kind of stay away from them, turn it off, get away from it, let it go. Second is also letting go any deep concern about the nutrients, the macros, the nutrition, um, just for now. Of course, you can always use your common sense. If you have the option of choosing you know, fruits and vegetables that you would love and be satisfied with, or something that you know isn't going to make you feel great later, you're free to choose either, actually, but you're free to choose the healthier version Um, as long as it's not because you are bad for doing the other. Okay, so the third little practical tip I would like to give you. Try keeping a journal of why you're eating or why you're restricting at the times that you're doing that. 
In other words, what are your thoughts? What are your motives at that moment? What's happening in your environment? Are you feeling actually hungry or maybe you just want to get away from your stress? Um, is it a certain time of day where you're used to eating this particular food or it, when you're watching a TV show with your husband or your kids, it automatically makes you think of a certain food because it's habitual? Just trying to keep a journal of why you're making the decision to eat. What are your thoughts at that moment? What are your motives? Why are you restricting? Why have you made these food rules? Are you covering guilt or heart issue that belongs at Christ's feet? So begin to pray about these issues as you learn what you're dealing with, okay? So those are your practical tips. Trust the Lord to help you through this, because he who began a good work in you will complete it. And what we're really talking about here is sanctification. Growing in Christlikeness is something that we want to do in every area of our lives, and this includes the areas of your eating, your dieting, your weight concerns, your body image, your thinking, your emotions. And most importantly, practice slowing down, thanking God for His good gift, His enjoyable gift at every meal or every eating opportunity. Now, for further help and to get some more information on this, you can read a blog post that I wrote specifically about this. It's called, What is Disordered Eating? The link is in the show notes, or you can find it at CherylSharko.com slash blog. That's CherylSharko.com slash blog. Be mindful of the spelling of my name. It's a little odd. Also, remember to sign up for that free ebook, Three Steps to Guilt-Free Eating, on the podcast page at that same website. So you can have some more detailed help as you relearn this process of eating naturally and guilt-free. Okay, so until next time, remember 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Amen. See you soon. 